the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing, Dave King engineering. In the five o'clock hour today, a conversation I had with Mark Hitchcock, co-author of Global Reset. That's coming up in the second hour. We'll also consider... Um, Gary Bauer's assessment of the Hunter Biden verdict and Cal Thomas on what's inappropriate. The White House press secretary suggested that certain conduct on the White House lawn was inappropriate. However, we seem to have stretched the notion and our common understanding of what's moral and acceptable seems to be shattered. That's coming up in the second hour as well. But first to look at some of the day's headlines, President Joe Biden's son Hunter was charged Tuesday with illegally possessing a handgun and failing to pay his taxes on time in 2017 and 2018, according to a notice filed with the U.S. District Court of Delaware. Hunter has agreed to plead guilty on the two tax misdemeanors and will enter a probation agreement that, if violated, would result in his being prosecuted for possessing a handgun while intoxicated in 2018, a felony charge. The president and first lady love their son and support him as he continues to rebuild his life. The White House statement said, we will have no further comment. While the plea deal must still be approved by a federal judge, it could bring an end to the federal investigation that's um, captivated elected Republicans and their voters and haunted Democrats and the president since before he took office. The deal will likely see the younger Biden avoid jail time as prosecutors plan to recommend probation for the tax misdemeanors. According to the Washington Post, should Biden comply with the terms of his pretrial diversion program, he'll also escape time behind bars over the gun charge and will likely have the charge wiped from his record after two years. Sources familiar with the matter say... No jail time. Some suggesting this is a sweetheart deal. The plea agreement reached Tuesday enhances the uh, congressional probe digging into the Biden family alleged influence peddling and closing the Justice Department's argument of an ongoing investigation. That's according to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. That excuse now being wiped off the table. The plea agreement filed in a federal court in Wilmington, Delaware, on Tuesday came as the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, led by Chairman James Comer, the Republican from Kentucky, has increased scrutiny of the Biden family financial transactions. The investigation includes an allegation or an alleged five million dollar bribe to the then Vice President Joe Biden while he was serving in the Obama administration. This does nothing to our investigation. Investigation, McCarthy said, speaking to reporters on Tuesday, actually, it should enhance our investigation because the Department of Justice shouldn't be able to withhold any information now saying that it is a pending. There is a pending investigation. They should be able to provide Chairman Comer with any information that he requires. We'll see how that actually plays out. Meanwhile, appearing before the House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday, special counsel John Durham defended his probe into the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation, asserting he found troubling violations of law and policy, as well as bias among key officials. 
The report was published in mid-May and determined that the FBI's investigation into allegations of collusion between Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and Russia was improperly opened. Durham also found several examples of the agency mishandling the investigation once it was opened. The special counsel added that in the intervening years, FBI employees have come to him and apologized for the agency's conduct. I've had any number of FBI agents who I've worked with over the years, some of them retired, some of them still in place, who have come to me and apologized for the manner in which that investigation was undertaken. I take that seriously. These are good, hardworking people, the majority of the FBI, Durham explained. He said the American people ought to pay attention to his report because of the violations of civil liberties. While the agency still serves vital national security interests, Durham said, responsibility for the failures and transgressions here rest with the people who committed them here. That investigation or that uh, hearing giving him the opportunity to respond to the um, uh, to the investigation. A bit closer to home, the Oregon Senate, having ended the longest walkout in state history, will be in a well a sprint as the legislature's 160 day session approaches its closing on the 25th of this month. That, of course, is later this week. The walkout ended on the 15th after 42 days and after majority Democrats and minority Republicans asserted victory in disputes over bills affecting abortion access and firearms regulation. However, 10 senators are likely to have to go to court to challenge a measure under which their unexcused absences during the walkout now disqualify them for seeking reelection. Voters set to set a threshold of 10 such absences when they approved Measure 113 last year, and the unexcused absences remain on the books. Well, now in the session's final week, the Senate worked on reducing a backlog of 400 bills, including agency budgets, as it resumed legislative business with the House. Both chambers observed the new Juneteenth state holiday. That was Monday, created two years ago. But a joint subcommittee scheduled action on Tuesday on the final six budget balancing bills that emerged at the close of the session, signaling the the end is near. A compromise was reached after several failed attempts, including one by Democrat Governor Tina Kotek, herself a former House speaker. Discussions started on the 9th of June and resulted in a framework a few days later. But Senate President Rob Wagner, the Democrat from Lake Oswego, said it took a couple more days to come up with the exact compromise language for the disputed legislation. The Senate then passed the two bills on identical votes of 17 to 3, with all Democrats for and three Republicans against. Minority Leader Ted Knope, the uh, Bend of Bend, rather, and Senators Dick Anderson of, of uh, Lincoln City and Lynn Findlay of Vale, were the three others required for a forum of 20 senators to do business. Eight other Republicans and one independent who was uh, elected as a Republican were uh, listed as absent. Republican Senator Fred Gerard of Lyons, who is on medical leave, was also excused. Democrats agreed to change some provisions of the two bills, which returned to the House for action on amendments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. It's the 21st of June, and we're going to continue our walk through some of the day's headlines later in the program, The Global Reset. That explained by Mark Hitchcock, co-author of a book by the same name. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about the uh, walkout that has now ended in the Oregon legislature. And the question is, where does the GOP uh, senators, where do they stand? 
Uh, even as uh, at 42 days, Oregon's latest uh, legislative walkout wasn't the nation's longest. Back in 1924, majority Republicans, majority, mind you, walked out of uh, the Rhode Island Senate after minority Democrats backed by the lieutenant governor. Also, uh, the Senate's presiding officer refused to vote on government appropriations unless Republicans agreed to a call for a constitutional convention. They stayed out for six months until the general election when they prevailed. So this isn't the longest or the first. According to Ballotopia website, other walkouts have occurred in Texas, Indiana and Wisconsin, 2003, 2021 and 2011, respectively. But in addition to the current walkout, the Oregon legislature has had several others during the past 22 years, all by the minority party. In 2001, House Democrats walked out for five days to stall a Republican vote on a legislative resolution that cannot be vetoed by the governor. So they've done it on the legislative redistricting plan. They returned after the Republicans abandoned the resolution attempt, which the Supreme Court ruled later in that same year. Uh, would have been unconstitutional anyway. In 2019, Senate Republicans walked out twice to forestall votes on a proposed corporate activity tax to fund school improvement programs on climate change legislation. They came back the first time after Democrats agreed to shelve some of their other legislative priorities. The tax eventually passed without Republican support. Democrats ended up shelving the climate change legislation because they lacked the votes to pass it on their own. In 2020, Senate and House Republicans, they walked out to forestall votes on climate change legislation. Democratic legislative leaders then shut down the session a few days ahead of the constitutional deadline, leaving most bills and budget adjustments to die. The coronavirus pandemic then followed. And then in 2021, you might recall Senate Republicans walked out for a single day to protest then-Governor Kate Brown's actions during the coronavirus pandemic. They returned the next day. So this has been uh, a pattern not just in the state of Oregon, but in other uh, legislative bodies across the Fruited Plain as well. When Americans think about conflict with China, Taiwan comes to mind first. Yet there's... uh, Well, a front off our shores as well in the Caribbean. Visit almost any island in the region and you'll confront evidence of Beijing's reach. Ten Caribbean nations participate in China's Belt and Road Initiative. Grenada, Jamaica, the Dominican Republic, Antigua and um, Barbuda, um, Barbados, uh, Dominica, Trinidad, Tobago, Guyana, Suriname and, of course, Cuba. Well, these states owe much of their modern infrastructure from roads and ports to energy and telecommunications to Beijing's patronage. That's by design. In Antigua, China's Civil Engineering Construction Corporation built a new terminal for VC Bird International Airport. In Jamaica, China Merchant Port Holdings owns the Port of Kingston outright. Another Chinese company, Hutchinson Ports, holds a controlling stake in the port complex of Freezeport in the Bahamas. Solar panels, health clinics, sports stadiums, Beijing underwrites them all. Chinese development banks offered a less time-consuming process than Western-dominated multilateral lending institutions, demanded less transparency and disclosure, and were often willing to supply credit at below market interest rates, explains Scott McDonald, who's a in a recent report for the Jamestown Foundation. The United States prides itself on upholding a rules-based international order. But for developing states, the rules can um, can be expensive and burdensome. China offers a cheap, no-questions-and-asked alternative. But will there be uh, 
call to pay up at some point in the future, perhaps not monetarily, but in other ways. Unfortunately for the borrowers, in some cases, the fine print includes the option that in the event of failure to pay, the Chinese lending institution would assume control of the asset in question. Nations that don't sell their sovereignty willingly nonetheless face the possibility that China could use leverage gained through lending or um, debt trap diplomacy as a means for Beijing to gain control over strategic assets like harbors and railroads. There's a price to pay. China puts its economic uh, pull to maximum political effect as well. In 2018, the Dominican Republic broke diplomatic ties with Taipei and declared Taiwan an inalienable part of Chinese territory. Earlier this year, Honduras followed suit. Now part of Belt and Road, Honduras stands to gain greater investment in hydroelectric power, among other perks. Chinese influence throughout Latin America is growing, but the Caribbean has special significance. Five of the remaining 12 United Nations member states that recognize Taipei as the national capital of the Caribbean, Haiti, St. Kitts, Nevis, St. Lucia, and St. Vincent, and the, uh, I guess it's Grenadines, uh, and Belize. Even if China can lure them all into Belt and Road, these countries increasingly have to think about Beijing as they navigate relationships with their other neighbors. China's strategic interests are now locally embedded. Where superpowers are concerned, globalization is never just an economic phenomenon. It's political and military, too. Diplomatically isolating Taiwan is one of China's aims in the Caribbean. Another is to exploit American sensitivity to provocations in our own backyard. Today, China has a larger navy than we do, but can't compete with the combined forces of our navy and those of our Pacific allies. The best chance China has to win a war with us is to divide our attention. The very extension or extent of our power is also its limitation. We're responsible for Europe's security as well as that of our allies in Asia. We police the Persian Gulf and elsewhere as well. But unlike every other superpower of the last century, we don't face any serious challenges in our own hemisphere. Well, that frees us to project power far from our own shores. Well, the past hundred years are replete with examples, however, of our strongly, uh, how, uh, of how strongly we react when we do fear trouble close to home. The 17, uh, rather 1917 Zimmerman telegram, which showed Germany seeking to enlist Mexico as an ally in the event of U.S. entry into World War I, actually spurred the U.S. to get into the war. The threat of a Soviet-aligned Cuba posed to U.S. security forced John F. Kennedy to consider direct military intervention in support of the Bay of Pigs invasion in 1961. Kennedy balked and, a year later, faced the Cuban Missile Crisis. Even at the end of the Cold War, an increasingly repressive communist regime in Grenada uh, triggered a U.S. invasion. President Ronald Reagan's actions in the country contrasted with his response to Islamic Jihad's bombing of a Marines barracks in Lebanon the same week in 1983. Why did Reagan withdraw troops from Lebanon after an attack that killed 241 U.S. military personnel when he was willing to go to war in Grenada for the safety of American medical students? Well, the answer lies in the exceptional sensitivity of our strategic underbelly. If a rival like China wants to divert America's attention from Asia, even a modest nuisance in the Caribbean might suffice. Right now, China's capacity to stir up such a commotion is limited. But the more sway Beijing gains over the economically vulnerable and politically fragile states of the Caribbean, the more the potential for mischief grows. Mischief that could shake the world order and turn the world as we know it 
upside down. An urgent search is underway for the missing Titanic tourist sub as the Coast Guard veteran warns of a dire situation. What do we know at this point? Well, let's see. I have something pulled up here. I can find it. The um, Ocean Gate Titan submarine is carrying five passengers reported missing on Sunday. The U.S. Coast Guard said Tuesday afternoon it estimates that there are about 40 to 41 hours of oxygen remaining on the Titan. They still don't know where it is. It will run out of breathable air by around 5 to 6 a.m. on Thursday, Eastern Standard Time, according to the Coast Guard's estimate. The passengers have been identified. Uh, The five-person submarine weighs about 20,000 pounds. It's uh, capable of uh, driving 13 or rather diving to 13,120 feet. One veteran explorer, Josh Gates, who hosts a TV series investigating myths and legends around the world, revealed on Twitter on Wednesday that the missing Ocean Gate sub did not perform well when he went on a dive aboard the vessel himself. The 21 foot uh, deep sea submarine vanished on Sunday morning during an attempt to reach the shipwrecked Titanic. Uh, which sank uh, back in 1912. Gates, who hosts um, a show called Expedition Unknown on Discovery, had gone to uh, Stockton uh, Rush, the Ocean Gate CEO, who's now among the the five missing, along with the Titan sub, on a, a test dive before the vehicle's first visit to the Titanic some some time ago. Very serious, and again, as one Coast Guard veteran warned, a dire situation. It's not clear the sounds that they are hearing are actually emanating from this vessel or that it might have imploded as uh, as early as uh, its initial dive to the Titanic site. I listened to one commentator said, say, we know there are five aboard this vessel. I'm praying that there is a sixth and that the Lord himself is present to comfort them in their trial. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Mark Hitchcock, co-author of Global Reset. We'll also uh, consider Gary Bauer's assessment of the Hunter Biden charges and Cal Thomas on what's inappropriate in the 21st century. Seems like nothing is. We'll talk More about that later in the second hour. Former President Trump claimed Monday that a conversation he had with Russian President Vladimir Putin delayed the country's invasion of Ukraine for several years. He made the claim during an exclusive interview on Fox News special report describing uh, the conversation to Brett Baer, who um, he told or or rather when he told Putin an invasion would be catastrophic and that there would be a hell to pay. When asked about the invasion, the former president said of Putin he wouldn't have done it. If uh, it were me, he did it after I left, end quote. Well, Democrats supporting President Biden are more openly attacking presidential challenger Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as the president struggles to unite the blue party behind him. Several Biden backing operatives have opened fire on Kennedy amid online drama between him, podcast host Joe Rogan, Twitter owner Elon Musk and Baylor College of Medicine, tropical medicine dean Dr. Peter Hotez. Kennedy appeared on Rogan's podcast last week, prompting a response from Hotez that ignited an online firestorm between the foursome of prominent Americans and a challenge for Hortez to debate Kennedy on vaccines. Since then, Biden-linked accounts on Twitter have been unloading on Kennedy, even going after his heroin addiction and possession felony. 
In other news, the House voted Wednesday to censure Representative Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California, for pushing claims that former President Trump's 2016 campaign colluded with Russia, a vote that made Schiff just the third member of the House to be censured since the turn of the century. The resolution passed 213 to 209 in a vote every Republican voted for, except for six who voted present and every Democrat voted against. Immediately following the vote, Democrats gathered on the floor and chanted shame and disgrace as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tried to gavel the House in order for several minutes. Representative Elon Omar um, was heard calling McCarthy a spiteful coward and accusing him of weak leadership. McCarthy then asked Schiff to present himself in the well of the House and Democrats clapped and cheered as he approached after being interrupted several times by Democrats. McCarthy said, I have all night. Schiff uh, then stood in the well of the House as required by the resolution and was hugged and cheered by dozens of Democrats who surrounded him. The measure also requires the House Committee on Ethics to investigate Schiff's falsehoods, misrepresentations and abuses of sensitive information. Death rates from breast cancer have been on a steady decline in recent decades, dropping 43 percent. Between 1989 and 2020, the average risk of dying from breast cancer in the five years after an early diagnosis have fallen from 14 percent to 5 percent since the 90s. According to a recent study from the University of Oxford in Oxford, England, that was published in the British Medical Journal. For those diagnosed between the years 2010 and 2015, more than six in 10 women had a 3% or less chance of dying within five years. Early-stage breast cancer is defined as cancer that hasn't spread. Early detection, as well as screening, mammography, and improvements in medical treatment have all led to improvements in overall survival. Social media giant YouTube took down an interview of Democrat presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr., claiming that chemicals in the water are turning kids transgender. On Sunday, both Kennedy and podcast host Jordan Peterson tweeted that the video sharing website had taken down their interview from an episode of Peterson's show and accused the social media platform of censorship and interfering with a presidential campaign. Why do you think? Well, should social media platforms censure presidential candidates? Kennedy asked on Twitter, my conversation with Peterson was deleted by YouTube. President Biden oddly claimed Monday that his administration will have conserved 30 percent of all lands and waters under U.S. jurisdiction by the year 2020, which, of course, is three years ago and before he even took office. The apparent gaffe came during Biden's visit at the Lucy Evans Balins Nature Imperative Center and Preserve in Palo Alto, California, alongside Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom. And maybe most important, I've committed to by 2020, we will have uh, conserved 30 percent of all lands and waters the United States has jurisdiction over and simultaneously reduce emissions to blunt climate impact, he told those gathered at the preserve. Fox News Digital contacted the White House for clarification on what year Biden intended to say, but did not immediately receive a response. According to a White House fact sheet released in March, the administration plans to conserve at least 30 percent of U.S. lands and waters by 2030 by investing more than one billion dollars in unprecedented investments in land, water and wildlife conservation. The White House had no explanation for the president's God save the queen remarks at the end of a speech on gun control, according to Axios, which spoke to several aides about the president's, well, wacky phrases. Olivia Dalton, White House principal deputy press secretary, told reporters after his speech that he was commenting to someone in the crowd. 
Well, Biden aides are often confused by his uh, quirky aphorisms, Axios reported. Uh, they reached out to the White House for comment, but have yet to uh, received a response. The president bizarrely ended a speech about gun control in Connecticut with the words, God save the queen, after noting that he would not be able to shake hands with attendees because a storm was approaching. He also uttered another phrase he once used toward a student who questioned him about his fourth place standing in the 2020 Iowa caucuses. Is that the truth? Now, do I make a uh, now do not make a lie as that scene in John Wayne's movie. Don't make me a dog faced lying pony soldier. Biden said uh, this time about the reported incoming storm. Well, the outlet cited former and current Biden aides who said they still aren't sure what he meant by the phrase. Democrats, Republicans and more have expressed concern over the president's age as his campaign for reelection in 2024. Now, there may be a perfectly plausible explanation. We just haven't yet heard it. A career scientist in the submersible vehicle industry fears the worst, a catastrophic implosion regarding the fate of the Ocean Gate. He indicated in an interview Monday evening, the submersible with five people on board has been missing since Sunday while bringing tourists to explore the wreck of the Titanic. For there not to be any communications or any movement, indications are that something went critical. Steve Sommelbody of Florida-based senior research scientist who has 20 years' experience in submersible design and operation. The pressure down there is at 40,000 meters is pretty high, about 5,800 PSI at Titanic depth. If you had any kind of leak, It would lead to an implosion and it would happen in an instant, very immediately. And I'm quoting here, very immediately, sort of an odd phrase. You wouldn't even know it happened. Somebody has worked for Bluefin Robotics and now scientific research firm Battelle. He said he was speaking for himself and not for his organization. But we continue to pray and hope. As the government observes Juneteenth as a holiday on Monday for the third straight year, support for the Black Lives Matter movement has plummeted significantly as black Americans grapple with rising um, urban crime and stubborn inflation and grow pessimistic about racism in the future. Juneteenth, the day that all enslaved Americans found out that they were free uh, when news of the Civil War end uh, reached Galveston, Texas on the 19th of June in 1865, was celebrated by black Americans for years President Joe Biden declared Juneteenth the federal holiday in 2021. Gavin Newsom tried to uh, deny the great California exodus in an interview with Sean Hannity last week. The governor claimed the idea of an exodus from California is a myth, but the data tell a far different story. Let's start with the basics. Between April of 2020 and July of 22, California's population decreased by more than 500,000 people. And when considering net domestic migration, 700,000 more people moved out of California than moved in during that period. Newsom pointed out that other states such as Mississippi and Louisiana lost more people per capita than California, suggesting all is fine in the Golden State. But the truth is that comparing these numbers to other states, doesn't make the picture any brighter for California. In 22, California had the worst raw domestic net migration numbers of any state, losing almost 350,000 people. When one looks at the number as a portion of the total population, California is still in the bottom 10, losing 0.3% of its residents. A 13-year-old girl and her friend were reportedly called despicable by one of their school teachers last week, after one of them challenged their classmates about how she identifies as a cat 
after a lesson about gender ideology. The 13-year-old girl and her friend are students of Rye College in the United Kingdom. The students were in their end-of-year lesson on life education, where they were told they can be who they want to be and how you identify is up to you. Well, after the lesson, one of the students asked her classmate, how can you identify as a cat when you're a girl? The school teacher reprimanded the student and her friend and said that they were being reported to school officials. And the teacher reportedly said that they would no longer be welcome at the school if they continued to express the view that only boys and girls exist. Apparently, cat people also exist. Young children, whatever else they might be, are not cats, nor unicorns, nor space aliens. Right? However unique we all might be, being grounded is a basic reality, or in a basic reality, is a requirement for life itself. If you believe you are a rock and insist you don't need food, you are not only wrong, but soon to be dead. Feed the person, not the delusion. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Mr. Blinken met with President Xi Jinping and immediately stated the U.S. does not support Taiwan's independence. That's not a new statement or a new policy, but the juxtaposition concerned some. If this is true, why did Nancy Pelosi bother to visit Taiwan last August, even after China threatened her? Well, Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken stated that the U.S. does not support Taiwan's independence after meeting with President Xi on Monday. Blinken was in Beijing to warm U.S. relations with China, which have become strained in recent years over several issues, including Taiwan. Colin Rugg said the Secretary of State gives China the green light to invade Taiwan during the visit in Beijing. We do not support Taiwan independence. What a pivot from Biden's previous comments from just months ago. What happened? Yes, if in fact there is uh, was an unprecedented attack, Biden said after being asked if he would defend Taiwan from a Chinese invasion. Well, yes, we can't simply ignore the way that China has been aggressively expanding its military and forging stronger alliances with other adversarial nations, including Russia and Iran. They know that we've outsourced so much of the global supply chain to them for so long that the situation can't be turned around overnight. The U.S. sex uh, reassignment surgery market size has, uh, was valued at $1.9 billion in 2021 and is expected to expand at a compound annual growth rate of 11.23 percent from 2022 to 2030. The rising incidence of gender dysphoria and the increasing number of people opting for gender confirmation surgeries are expected to boost the growth during the forecast period. According to a study conducted by Cedars-Sinai in June of 2020, Approximately 78% of transgender males experienced gender dysphoria by the age of seven. The lucrative gender reassignment industry valued at $1.9 billion. Intel is planning to invest $32.8 billion in Germany to build a semiconductor facility. This allows us to not be as reliant on China, Taiwan, Associated Press reports that Intel And the German government signed a deal Monday that will see the U.S. company spend more than 30 billion euros to build a chip manufacturing site in the eastern city of Magdeburg. I haven't studied my German in quite a while. After Germany pledged to cover a third of the investment required, Intel uh, acquired the land for two semiconductor facilities there in November. It says the first one is expected to start production in four to five years. 
San Francisco is bracing for defaults worth billions in commercial real estate market. Lenders to San Francisco's beleaguered commercial real estate market are braced for defaults on billions of dollars of debt after the owners of the city's largest shopping mall and biggest hotel ceased loan payments and handed back the keys on what was once the city's most valuable property. This week, Westfield and uh, Brookfield properties announced that they had stopped making payments on the $558 million loan secured against the city's sprawling downtown mall that they have um, owned since 2002 and would surrender the premises to its lenders. Days earlier, New York listed park hotels and resorts said it expected to hand over ownership of two of its prime San Francisco hotels, the Hilton Union Square and Park 55, after it stopped making payments on the $725 million loan. The hotels were valued at more than $1.5 billion when the loan was issued in 2016, suggesting that its owners believe their value has more than halved. The large defaults were the latest in a number of distress signals by landlords of offices, hotels, apartment blocks and retailers in San Francisco. The city's been struggling with a steep decline in tourism and business travel since the coronavirus pandemic, downsized by technology companies, an exodus of residents and international scrutiny over crime and drug use and homelessness. A company is offering a baby bonus to employees who choose to have or adopt children. Good for them. After Roe versus Wade was overturned nearly a year ago, several woke companies decided to unveil abortion benefits for their employees. This included covering travel for out-of-state abortions and some companies announcing that employees could relocate out of uh, pro-life states. One company is going to the opposite direction and is offering its employees a baby bonus to push a pro-life, pro-family agenda. Public Square is an an uh, app designed to connect freedom-loving Americans in shopping uh, quality products, services, and exclusive discounts from values-aligned businesses. CEO Michael Seifert says while other companies like Target are paying for their employees' abortions, we at Public Square are paying $5,000 to any of our employees who have a baby or adopt. We're calling it the baby bonus. Strong families make a strong nation. Well, West Coast port unions have reached a tentative deal. And despite the, the, the cost to many small businesses, the Journal of Commerce reports that longshore workers on the U.S. West Coast secured a 32 percent salary increase over the life of a tentative six year contract agreed to Wednesday. But they didn't receive the increased um, manning for conventional terminals they sought during the 13-month negotiations with employers. Two sources who asked not to be identified said the agreement calls for $4.62 uh, per hour wage increase in the first year with an increase of $2 per hour in each of the remaining five years of the contract. In addition, a one-time $70 million bonus intended to reward dock workers for remaining on the job. A tentative agreement is not a sure thing, as the U.S. learned last year when a tentative agreement in the railroad industry wasn't approved by some of the rail unions, leading uh, to congressional intervention under the Railway Labor Act to prevent a nationwide work stoppage. Dock workers are governed by the National Labor Relations Act, which doesn't have the provision for congressional intervention. Approval for this deal will likely take about three months. There are local contracts within each region in addition to the coastward, uh, coastwide contract. The local contracts will be approved first, then a vote on the ILWU members will be scheduled for the coastwide uh, contract. There are 70 employers in the I, in the PMW, rather, and they will all also meet to approve that deal. 
The great battle of Dodger Stadium is finally over, and the final score was Dodgers 0, Catholics 1, the ugly men in clown paint, and nun costumes negative 1 billion. After all the strum and uh, drag surrounding the Dodgers Pride Night ceremony honoring a pornographic Catholic hate group known as Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the Pride event itself barely registered. The uh, Dodgers executives buried the ceremony by holding it a full hour before the game even began and in front of a nearly empty stadium. Just two of the brave and proud sisters dared to show their clown-painted faces. There was no strip show performance, no dancing, no twerking on a crucifix, and no rousing ovation by a packed crowd of rainbow-clad LGBT activists. There was zero fanfare. The Dodgers engineered a a rain out for the guys who had uh, caused them nothing but grief. James Comer on the Hunter Biden deal. There's a two-tiered system of justice and reading the details, which we did earlier and will revisit later in the program, seems to support that notion. Donald Trump's trial date is set for August 14th of this year. Judge Aileen Cannon set a date for Donald Trump's trial in the federal case brought against him by a special counsel, Jack Smith. The trial is set to begin on the 14th of August and the parties must file a pretrial motion by the 24th, according to the order released on Tuesday. The former president is facing 37 criminal counts, including willful retention of national defense information, conspiracy to obstruct justice and making false statements. He's pleaded not guilty to all charges. The schedule is an aggressive one, but it is highly likely that the trial date will be pushed back as Cannon negotiates particulars with Trump's attorneys and the Department of Justice. It'll be interesting to see how this impacts his presidential aspirations. An Arkansas judge struck down a law protecting minors from gender surgery. Arkansas's ban on gender affirming care, as it's referred to, for patients under the age of 18 was struck down by a federal judge on Tuesday. Arkansas was the first state to prohibit doctors from providing gender uh, treatments to transgender youths after overriding then Governor Asa Hutchinson's veto of the ban in 2021. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. When we return, a conversation I had with Mark Hitchcock, co-author of Global Reset, and a bit of um, review of whether or not the uh, verdict in the Hunter Biden case was rigged. Gary Bauer weighs in and Cal Thomas on what's inappropriate in the culture today. Is anything actually inappropriate? That and more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest addresses the question, are we headed for a great reset? COVID unleashed a cascade of consequences that are now reaching far beyond the pandemic itself. Governments have begun leveraging the coronavirus and even the vaccine as a power grab, setting the stage for further intrusions in the future. And these accelerants are driving the world to the precipice of fundamental, irreversible transformation. The winds of change are blowing. Tectonic shifts are underway at every level. And these realities are alarming by themselves. And yet there remains a still deeper, more sinister agenda. Well, co-authors Mark Hitchcock and Jeff Kinley painstakingly make the case together in Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? That uh, while we aren't yet in the end times, we're on the edge of a precipice. It's a fascinating work. Well, my guest is Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He graduated from law school in 84 after working for a judge at the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals for four years. He led was led to attend Dallas Theological Seminary. He was served. 
has served as a um, senior pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. He completed his Ph.D. at Dallas Theological Seminary in 2005. He serves as an associate professor of Bible exposition uh, there. Uh, He has uh, written over um, had his books rather translated in over 10 languages and has written many, many books. We're talking about one of them today and are just delighted to have you with us. Dr. Mark Hitchcock, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. You begin the book, uh, and again, Global Reset, by writing about a global preset. Explain what you mean by that and uh, the fascinating account that you give um, of the 2020 uh, Davos, Switzerland uh, confab, if you will, the World Economic Forum. Yes. Well, thanks for having me so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, the whole idea of a global reset comes from the Great Reset. And uh, the Great Reset really is the brainchild of uh, Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum, meeting in Davos, Switzerland every year. And uh, they met this this past year. And um, as always, the, the goal is basically to um, take control basically over um, basically every part of the globe. They, they say their mission is to shape global, regional, and industry agendas to bring about a, a global reboot. And uh, basically what they want to do is to uh, use crises. Uh, they tried to do it back with the, the housing crisis in 2008. Uh, they certainly seized on the COVID crisis. That's when Klaus Schwab wrote his book, The Great Reset. And uh, the next one's probably going to be climate change, you know, things like inflation. But basically, they, they, what they're doing is they're kind of reaching into every area of life to try to take control over every imaginable domain, the economic, geopolitical, governmental, you know, all the technological, the medical, you know, through the CDC and World Health Organization. So basically, it's to, to take control over people's lives in every area. And uh, again, we call this a preset because what we're seeing today is not the global empire of the Antichrist, but it's a preset for that. So it's a reset, but really it's a preset for the ultimate reset that's coming when uh, the Antichrist comes and takes power. And uh, what we're seeing today is just kind of a faint foreshadow of that. You make the point that um, Pandora's box has been opened. This is, as you put it, the preset to events yet to come. Can you talk uh, more specifically about why the 2020 confab was significant in this this move in the direction that ultimately will result in a global reset? Well, yeah, in 2020, obviously, that's, you know, when COVID's taking place. And so because COVID, um, you know, they were able to have lockdowns, you know, vaccines, track and trace technology. That was really the boost for all of this, because the whole the whole idea of this reset, it hinges on, on crisis. You have to have a crisis. And so kind of there's a kind of a pattern or a cycle here where there's a crisis and then there's chaos. Obviously, COVID created chaos. And then out of that comes control. Uh, they seek to have control. And then from the control comes compliance. You know, people are kind of, um, you know, basically uh, brought to a place of submission. And then there's calm. So they need a crisis to gain control. You know, years ago, Rahm Emanuel, the, the um, chief of staff of President Obama, said, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm-hmm. And uh, they realized they have to have a crisis to create the fear and the alarmism to get people to kind of knuckle under and surrender their rights to do what they want them to do. And so that basically in 2020 was kind of the launching pad really for all of this. And now that the one they just had a couple, a few weeks ago 
Davos, Switzerland, their, their most recent meeting, a third of their meetings were about climate change. So that's kind of the, you know, the crisis du jour, if you will. That's kind of the next one that's in the waiting in the wings with, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, a climate apocalypticism that's out there. You know, the world's going to end. We got to, you know, make all these changes. So that's what they feed on. And again, it, it worked to a T really with, with, uh, with the COVID crisis. And, you know, it's really not over yet. It's just, it's kind of an ongoing crisis where it's going to be around for a long time. They're going to keep feeding it, I think, as long as they can. What role will technology, uh, contact tracing and tracking play in moving in the direction that they uh, are working toward? Well, that's the real difference nowadays, I think. You know, people often ask me, they'll say, well, you know, people have always talked about the Antichrist coming and a one-world government and a one-world economy. You know, people have been talking about these things forever. You know, what's the difference now? Well, the, the difference is technology, and it's a, it's, and it's a massive difference. Uh, you know, the, the cell phones we have, people can be tracked and traced. And this began during COVID, where, uh, you know, people would be, you know, had no, all the people you've been in contact with. But the, the the part about this, of this whole technology that I think is the most chilling is when it comes to financial dealings, there's, uh, you know, we all know about cryptocurrencies, but there's something else called central bank digital currency that's actually going to be issued by central banks, by governments. China already has a, a digital currency. Not everyone uses it, but it's got, it's a digital yuan. But back on March 9th, uh, President, uh, President Biden issued an executive order for the powers that be in the United States to begin investigating uh, the uh, digital dollar. And the thing that's frightening about that is with the digital dollar, it's, it's um, programmable. So they can track and trace where you spend every dollar. So they'll know every, every penny you spend, but it's programmable in the sense that they can actually program where you can spend the money. So if they, if they don't want you to buy a firearm, then, then none of the money is, is, is put to that. They, if they want you to eat less meat because, you know, they're concerned about methane that, you know, given off by cattle for global warming, then you can only buy, you know, so much meat. You might buy so much gasoline or whatever. So, you know, you maybe won't be able to use any of the money to give to a, a ministry that you want to give to that's on a blacklist. So once, once something like that takes place, that kind of technology is in place with, with, a, with a currency – um, you know, really, humanly speaking, it's checkmate because, you know, people are totally in the control then economically of this, you know, massive system. So, you know, technology really just in every way really is the driver of this and just all the surveillance uh, that, that's taking place in people's lives. So that's really the game changer, I think, in many ways that that even allows things like this global reset or this great reboot uh, to even be talked about today. You write in um, the section of your book, Return to Babylon, that these realities are alarming by themselves, and yet there remains a deeper, more sinister agenda embedded within. According to prophecies found in the scriptures, a one-world government will indeed emerge in the end times. To more fully understand this coming kingdom, we have to grasp how both Daniel and Revelation describe it. Now, for people who are skeptical that we are living in the end times as described in uh, in scripture, what what should we be aware of in order to understand uh, what we're witnessing today and what's coming? Well, the Bible predicts in Revelation chapter 13, if someone wants to read that for themselves, it predicts a, a one world government, um, a one world economy and a one world religion in the end times. And again, the book of Daniel is kind of the precursor to this, but it's really fleshed out most clearly in the book of Revelation. 
Um, you know, the, the world started after the, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Everybody was there together under the rule of one man named Nimrod. God scattered people all over the earth. And we've gone from tribalism to nationalism to, to globalism. And Satan is the master globalist. He's trying to bring the world back together again under the rule of one man. Satan wants to be worshipped. And that's where everything ultimately is headed. That's what we call it back to Babylon or back to Babel. And everything's headed back there. And interestingly, two of the last chapters in the Bible are about Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. So everything's headed towards this, this globalism. And again, if you look at our world today, to me, that's one of the key signs of the times um, that tells us uh, where we are in God's prophetic calendar is just the incredible uh, exponential mushrooming in, in globalism in our world today. And that fact alone is really consistent with what we see in Scripture. It's, it's not far-fetched at all now to see how, um, in the not-too-distant future, a person could really come along who could uh, have a, a, a one-world government, a one-world global economy. Uh, we're, we really have a global economy already in many senses. We have different currencies, but you know, one nation has you know drops and has, has, has a big problem. You know, one of the main nations, it affects the world. Mm-hmm. So all of this is moving towards this ultimate empire um, of the Antichrist. And again, I, I believe in a, a pre-tribulation rapture. So I think one of these days, you know, mil- millions and millions of people disappear off the face of the earth. And you talk about a crisis for these global elites to seize upon, and ultimately the Antichrist. That's going to be the, the, the crisis of all crises, you know, for them to exploit and, and, and take advantage of that I think then they'll leverage to— even accelerate this this globalism even more. We're talking this afternoon with uh, Mark Hitchcock. He's the co-author of Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? We'll continue that conversation in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He graduated from law school. He attended Dallas Theological Seminary. He's completed his Ph.D. at Dallas Theological Seminary and serves as an associate professor of Bible exposition there. He's offered over 30 books related to end times biblical prophecy. His books have been translated into over 10 languages. He's a frequent speaker at churches and prophecy conferences, both here in the U.S. and internationally. We're talking about the book he co-authored along with uh, Jeff Kinley, Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? Well, let me ask you about... um, uh, the, the grand illusion. You have a section, bigger stage, bigger illusion. You share the story of an illusionist who had um, lots of people fascinated by his sleight of hand, if you will, but that there is a bigger illusion coming that um, will explain, at least in part, how so many are deceived into embracing what's coming. Yeah, that's right. You know, to, to uh, magnify the crises that are happening in our world today, the global resetters use uh, mass deception. Um, you know, we, we see this, you know, I use COVID as an example. And again, you know, I'm not a you know vaccination denier or any kind of things like that myself, but you see the deception. It was hard to tell who was telling the truth. You hear one person mm-hmm. say one thing, one person say another thing. You're just trying to decipher all this and think, where, where's the truth? Where's, where's the truth in all this? And, you know, eventually you find out at the end that there's a lot of deception that's taking place, you know, in the names, name of science and creates a lot of fear and a, a alarmism because if people are fearful enough and deceived enough, then they'll submit and they'll comply. 
And that's exactly what's going to happen when the ultimate global reset comes with uh, the Antichrist in the end times. Uh, the Bible tells us that Satan is going to energize this this final world ruler like like no one before. Uh, my my co-author Jeff Kinley calls the Antichrist Satan with skin on. That's a pretty good way to to look at what he's going to be like. But the Bible tells us he's going to do all kinds of lying signs and wonders. So actually going to be astounding miracles are going to take place in wonders. And when it calls them lying wonders, it doesn't mean they're false. It just means the purpose of them um, is to deceive people. And, you know, ultimately this, this Antichrist figure is going to die and come back to life. I mean, a dramatic event, a, a parody of, of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So there's going to be mass deception. I, I think we have no idea what the deception will be like ultimately in, in the tribulation period. But we are today... I think getting a little foretaste of that with just, you know, knowing what to believe, who to believe, um, it's it's becoming very difficult uh, today. That's even true in the spiritual realm. There's so many, you know, false teachers out there today, people saying different things that people are very confused today. It takes, it takes a lot of discernment, I think, today to be able to cut through a lot of that. And that's one of the reasons we need programs like yours, and uh, we need good churches that teach the Bible, and we need to you know, spend time in God's Word each day, because we, we, t- we, need, we need discernment uh, desperately today. Oh, absolutely. You make the point that this Satan, if you will, with skin on, um, will function in the same way that we've seen Satan function in Scripture. He darkens the mind. He distracts um, uh, desires. He deceives hearts. He uh, dilutes the truth. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at different titles in your book uh, that we can predict to some degree what to expect based on what we've seen in the past. Um, but on a grander scale than the world has ever seen. No, that's right. You know, Satan's the master deceiver. That's his main uh, modus operandi is deception. You know, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he comes to Eve and he says, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree. It's deception is what he brings in. He's uh, constantly deceiving, and uh, that's what he uses. And um, he deceives people ultimately to, to believe all kinds of things. They don't need a Savior uh, they're not that bad. They're not that sinful. But the deception we're seeing today in our world is on a is on a mass scale. And again, as we mentioned earlier, part of that is technology. Technology allows for this mass deception uh, to take place. But that's always been been Satan's uh, program. Satan's uh, the master counterfeiter. You know, he never had an original idea in his mind, but he takes what God has and he counterfeits it. Um, he, he manipulates it. He deceives people through it. And uh, that's what we see happening in our world today. And it's going to—it's just going to continue to ramp up. And again, the ultimate final deception will be that this final ruler, the Antichrist, that he is God. And the Bible says that people will worship him as God. They're going to have to take a mark upon them, uh, the right hand or the forehead, a, a visible physical mark upon them to be able to buy or sell. So that will be the ultimate deception. The world began with, with the sin of man, but it's going to end with the man of sin, and that'll be the final deception. Mm. And one of the points you make in the chapter on the mark is that it's not something that you could inadvertently stumble into, but this will be a decision made to embrace um, the Antichrist. And I appreciated that you explain that uh, in the book, Global Reset, that, you know, you're not going to wake up one day and think, oh, dear, I've accidentally somehow stumbled into this uh, this commitment. That's right. Yeah, the mark of the beast is going to be uh, something that people will knowingly, willingly do. And, and you know, it's going to be the number 666 
which I believe in Revelation 13, verses 16 to 18, it talks about that. I think it's that's literally the numerical value of the Antichrist name. So when people take that number on them, it's a pledge of allegiance. It's a loyalty pledge to the Antichrist. And it'll also serve then as the, the passport for commerce. But yeah, I'll have people sometimes ask me, well, you know, if they get come up with a you know, a national identification card. Should I get that? You know, could that be the mark of the beast? And there, there's uh, several problems. That one is the mark of the beast won't come until the time of the tribulation, actually the, the last half of the seven-year tribulation. And the other thing is, so it's jumping the gun to say anything today is the, the mark of the beast. But again, as you pointed out, it, people will willingly take it. So once they take it, they're going to be doomed. And uh, so it's a willful choice that people reject Christ they accept Antichrist. So, you know, nothing today, nothing before uh, the tribulation begins, actually nothing before the middle of the tribulation could be the mark of the beast. So people just need to remember that and not get, um, you know, uh, speculate about what the mark of the beast is, if it's around now, or become, you all really fearful about social security cards or, you know, global ID cards or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, the scriptures uh, talk a lot about a one world order, and it sounds very appealing in the world today. You've got the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. You've got uh, the, the threat of, of China. You've got Israel, the, the focus of Iran and other nations. The, the notion of a one world order where there's unity and peace it sounds very attractive. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, that goal of the of the enemy, but um, how that will be so appealing. And of course, there's one who will uh, make it most appealing, um, the the Antichrist himself. But uh, talk a bit about the one world order and why that would be contrary to what God intends. Yeah, the one world order, you know, is it really interesting this last week, you know, one of the uh, economic advisors for uh, President Biden talked about the liberal world order. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to have this, the liberal one. And that went viral. A million people saw that almost immediately. Liberal world order. Uh, we've got, you know, the new world order, uh, the great reset. Actually, uh, the words build back better is was taken from the World Economic Forum. So all of these are kind of um, synonyms, really, if you will, for this uh, one world order. We're kind of a borderless world where we don't have all the wars we have. And, you know, it's a what it is, it's what people have wanted from the beginning, utopia. You know, we want a utopia on earth. And of course, we believe there will be a utopia someday when the King of Kings comes, uh, the Lord Jesus. He's going to set up a, a utopia. But the idea that man can produce this this utopia, you know, I, I always I always laugh at that. And I, I try not to be too sarcastic. But, you know, years ago, you know, John Lennon wrote the song, Imagine, you know, all the people, you know, living life in peace. And I was like to point out, you know, the Beatles couldn't even get along with each other. You know, the band <laughs> broke up, you know. So and you have four people that can't get along talking about the whole world living in peace. And again, I'm not I'm not bashing them, but you see it in marriages all, all over the place. You know, two people can't get along. So you know, how are we going to get seven billion people? It's a it's a pipe dream that that Satan sells to the world. But the Antichrist, I think when he comes, he's coming on a platform of peace. And he's going to come and he's going to make a treaty with Israel. I think he's going to bring peace to the Middle East, at least for a short period of time. So I think he's going to be Times Man of the Year. You know, he'll be the, you know, the win the Nobel Peace Prize. So he's smart and crafty. He's going to come on this, this peace platform and prosperity, which is what all politicians want to, want to bring. But it's going to quickly begin to, to disintegrate and fall apart. But you know, people want it so badly. 
Uh, people want peace. They want unity in this world so badly that when someone comes and, you know, there's even a faint hope that they can bring it, people will, will, will fall in, in line for that really quickly. But it's going to be a deception again, and uh, it'll quickly disintegrate, and the world's going to you know, descend into chaos in the tribulation period. But, um, you know, people want that. They want it badly. But, uh, you know, it's it, it's never going to happen until Jesus comes. Yeah. Once again, we're talking about the book Global Reset. Uh, my guest, uh, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and his co-author, Jeff Kinley, are the authors. Uh, Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? He's consented to stay with us for a few more minutes. We've got news and traffic here at the top of the hour, and we will be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. I'm continuing my conversation. We began in the previous hour with Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He is, along with Jeff Kinley, the co-author of Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? It uh, covers a lot of of questions that people have about the details and uh, what to expect. You know, one of the things that I I think a lot of people wonder about is with this notion of one world order, how the nations would come together. For example, um, is China going to be cooperative? Is it going to be part of this new world order? You you write about the role that China is likely to play as opposed to the Middle East and different uh, parts of the globe. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's it's challenging to imagine, given what we see today, what it might look like in the future when there's a moment of unity and then the conflicts break out. Yes, um, you know China obviously is. I mean, they have mass power today by their through their population, through their industry. They have. I mean, they're they're obviously the other key power now really to offset the United States. And, you know, people are projecting that their economy could be larger uh, than the economy of the United States you know, in, the, in the not too distant future. What's interesting, though, to me about this whole global reset and the uh, World Economic Forum, China is a key player in the World Economic Forum. Um, Klaus Schwab, his son, is married to a woman from China. And people have even called Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum, uh, that, that meets in Davos, Switzerland every year. They they called uh, Klaus Schwab a China fanboy. They actually look to China as kind of the model for what they want the world to be like, which again is totalitarian. Um, you know, mass surveillance. You know, in China they have a social credit score. Everybody has a social credit score. You're under so much surveillance, they constantly know what you're doing. I mean, it, it literally is the reality of you know Big Brother's watching. That um, you know, if, if your social credit score is low. From things you do wrong. Your internet's slower. Your kids can't go to certain schools. You can't travel. In fact, if you break leash laws, they come take your dog away. I mean, that's how draconian it is and what they're watching. So this is what the World Economic Forum looks at, and this is the control they want. They, they, want, they want control in the world concentrated in the hands of, of just a few people and a few major corporations. And of course, they believe that those people should be self-selected. So they're, you know, they're the ones who are, who are going to do this, but they, they really do see China as a model. And, um, you know, we see in our own country today, you know, more and more uh, control over people's lives. We see it in Europe um, because there's more crime and lawlessness. A lot of these things are used in it, you know, as an excuse to, you know, we've got to have more control to, to, uh, to, to bring about, uh, you know, peace and safety. So China really is, a nation that these global resetters look to as uh, kind of the model for what they perceive for the future. Do we find China referenced in Daniel 11? And what about the future of the United States in these events as they unfold? 
Well, yeah, China, you know, in, in, in uh, Daniel 11 there, it says that the Antichrist, he's going to hear rumors from the north and east. And he's going to go forth with great fury you know, and wrath to destroy and annihilate many. Many people, Bible teachers, have taken that. You know, there's rumors from the north and the east is the, the approach of the kings of the east. I mentioned in Revelation chapter 16. But my, my view on that is when the Antichrist hears rumors from the north and east, he's actually down in, in North Africa. So rumors from the north and east would be in Israel. So he goes back to Israel to destroy and annihilate many and to, to persecute the Jewish people. So I don't see China there. I don't really see China um, anywhere. They, they could be part of the kings of the east, though, in Revelation chapter 16. It's a, a, great, a horde of nations from east of the Euphrates River. Um, the United States, that's an interesting question. I get asked that all the time. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the United States not, is not mentioned, obviously, directly in the Bible. You don't find the words United States or America. Some think there are veiled references to the U.S., you know, the, the, the uh, Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18, they'll say it's New York City, or, you know, the Americas, the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel, or a lot of different places they, they found America. I don't think America is mentioned either directly or indirectly, which raises the question, obviously, if we're the great world superpower we are today, you'd think we would be mentioned. So I think the, the scriptural silence about America is significant. To me, it indicates something happens to us. Again, people say, well, what will that be? Well, I I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there certainly are plausible scenarios today, Uh, you know, some kind of a nuclear 9-11 or, you know, the the debt that we have, you know, 30 trillion and just massively growing, Um, the inflation uh, that we see in our country today to devastate our economy, Um, just a collapse from within. You know, there's there's God's wrath on, on a nation as they just continue to turn their back on him. So I don't know for sure. My own view is that really America's judgment could come at the rapture. You, know, you have all the salt and light is going to be extracted out of America in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And, of course, believers all over the earth will disappear. But at least from what statistics tell us, we somewhere around 8% of the people in America are true believers in Jesus Christ, that the believers saved by God's grace alone, uh, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that would be over 30 million people. So you talk about a drop on the Dow Jones the next day, you know, a mortgage crisis. I mean, it'd be devastating. So it could be that the rapture also happens maybe in conjunction with some of these other things as well, the debt we have, the, you know, the moral uh, corruption in our country, and it will bring us down to some kind of a second or third rate nation possibly after the rapture. So that's that's what I see kind of putting the pieces together. And I know there there's some speculation involved in that, but I don't think it's you know it's not um, reckless speculation when we look at you know what could America's role be and we'll we'll probably just be absorbed ultimately into to the empire of the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the the larger question is, given the fact that God has given us enough information to let us know, first of all, he's in control, that there are a series of events that we can anticipate, although we may not fully understand them at at our vantage point at this time. Um, what should our, our response be? How should we live in light of what the scripture tells us and what, what is coming? Well, yeah, obviously, if someone's listening, they've never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. That's what they need to do. They need to flee to Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God who came and, and bore our sin debt. He, he died on the cross for our sins. He rose the third day. And it's only through Him that we can have salvation. It's only through Him that we can go to heaven. So if someone's listening who's never done that, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if we know the Lord, 
Um, we need to be uh, ready ourselves, make sure we're living a life that's pleasing to God. Um, I think we need to be sharing this news with others, you know, telling people around us, you know, what the Bible says about the future. Again, you know, this isn't something that's far-fetched. Even people that don't know much about the Bible have a sense today that this world's getting near closing time, uh, that they sense that something's different. And so we, we need to be ambassadors uh, for Jesus Christ um, in this time in which we live. And uh, we need to live, as you mentioned earlier, that God's in control. There, there's 500 prophecies in the Bible that have already been fulfilled. There are 500 yet to be fulfilled. So the Bible has quite a track record. And uh, God knows the future, and he controls the future. And I always like to tell people, you know, if God's got the whole world in his hands, He's got your world in his hands. That's right. And a lot of us have a lot of problems and struggles in life. Um, and if God controls the world, and he controls my world. And that ought to be a great comfort to us. Whatever we face, a lot of, a lot of difficulties in this world. But um, I pray that will bring comfort to somebody here um, who may be listening this evening. Once again, the book we've been talking about, Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? I'll just say that it's eminently readable, and if you uh, are not familiar with the scriptures and what they teach, this is a great guide to walk you through um, what's uh, what we're seeing, what's coming, and what the world has planned for our future, although God is sovereign. Dr. Hitchcock, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Uh, By the way, the book is published by Thomas Nelson. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Gary Bauer weighed in on a decision that was announced yesterday. His uh, article simply titled Rigged. And he writes, if you needed more evidence of the two systems of justice in America, we got it yesterday when news broke of Hunter Biden's plea deal. The president's son will plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges related to evading $1.2 million in taxes. He's also entering into a probation agreement on a felony gun charge. If he fulfills the terms of the agreement, the gun charge will be dropped from his record. The end result is that Hunter Biden will avoid any jail time and any real consequence. Meanwhile, 70, uh, 70-year-old grandmothers who walked into the Capitol building on January 6, 2021, are doing time in the federal penitentiary. The next time you end up owing the IRS more than $1 million in back taxes, try asking for the Hunter Biden deal and see how that works out for you. As constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley put it, and I'm quoting, it's an evasion of the more serious allegations facing Hunter Biden and the Biden family. I think for many, this is going to look like you ticketed the getaway driver after a bank robbery. Well, there is some confusion about the status of the Hunter Biden investigation at this point. Hunter's attorneys told CBS News that this deal resolves the investigation, but the U.S. attorney for Delaware insisted that the investigation is ongoing. This is five-year investigation. Meanwhile, Senator Charles Grassley is once again demanding to know exactly what the U.S. attorney is investigating. Given everything that we know is on the laptop from, well, Hades, that seems like a very good question if all he has after five years of investigation is just two tax misdemeanors and an unrelated gun charge. By the way, the latest news of the Biden bribery um, scandal is that Hunter Biden's and Burisma worked with a bank that was so corrupt it was eventually shut down because of its well-known money laundering schemes. As infuriating as uh, this deal is, it exposes multiple, well, prevarications. Biden claimed in 2020 that Hunter's laptop was Russian disinformation and the media backed him up. He repeatedly said that 
uh, never uh, that he never talked to Hunter Biden about his business dealings. But we know Joe repeatedly met with his son's business associates. And just a few weeks ago, the president said, my son's done nothing wrong. The investigation apparently continues, but it seems that the uh, justice was a bit rigged in this case. In another story, Cal Thomas um, focuses in on what the White House press secretary had to say using the word inappropriate and questioning whether or not that word still applies in our culture and how important it is in the decline of nations when there's a rejection of unifying moral code. He writes that White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre recently used a word that seems to have disappeared from uh, our um, anything goes culture. Asked to comment on transgender activist Rose Montoya, who posted on social media a video of herself and two others going topless for a time at a Pride Month celebration on the South Lawn of the White House. Appropriately, Jean-Pierre said that the behavior was simply unacceptable and inappropriate. Well, this implies a standard by which appropriateness can be measured. What does she think that standard is? On what is it based and who decides? Dictionary.com offers little help. Among its definitions of inappropriate is not proper. Even then, uh, we are left with a question, what is proper and who decides? Is our standard of uh, a weather vane that points to whatever direction the wind is blowing? In a very short uh, short time, we've moved from a president who had a sexual encounter with an intern in the White House and won re-election to another president who held classified documents from the American people and then lied about it uh, to um, uh, one that honors Pride Month for LGBTQ plus people claiming transgender people are some of the bravest Americans I know, end quote. So transgender people are right up there with war veterans, Medal of Honor winners, first responders on 9-11 who risked their lives rescuing people from the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. As strong as those who brought down the hijacked planes over Pennsylvania field because uh, they believed it was headed for more destruction in Washington? I don't think so. There are several reasons for the decline of nations. A major contributing factor is the rejection of a unifying moral code. As John Adams, our second president, correctly observed, and I'm quoting, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Morality and virtue are the foundation of our republic and necessary for a society to be free. Does Adams' remark suggest that the absence of shared morality and religious faith undermine the foundation of our republic and its freedom? It would seem so as we watch what used to be called norms destroyed and the power of government used to indoctrinate and enforce conformity to the desires of a small percentage of the population who oppose the beliefs of the overwhelming majority of Americans. The words decadence and debauchery, they've been used in the past to explain why great nations expired. The Roman Empire is perhaps the greatest example. So many restraints were cast off 2000 years ago that the Emperor Caligula um, built navy ships, which historians say were used as sites for floating orgies. If that sort of behavior is not debauchery, then what is? It's defined as excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures, intemperance. Could that describe the behavior of Montoya and others on the White House lawn last week? Decadence is another useful word for describing where we're headed as a culture and a nation. The act or process of falling into an inferior condition or state, deterioration, decay, moral degradation, turpitude. 
Again, does this not describe the behavior we are witnessing almost daily from people who wish to impose their views on children? The corporations that think their virtue signaling will keep the political wolves from their doors. Have we not learned that appeasement never works? Well, some Americans have had enough. Thousands showed up outside Los Angeles Dodgers Stadium last week to protest the team honoring the anti-Catholic Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Inside the stands were virtually empty. The Wall Street Journal reports corporations are rethinking their rush to embrace political agendas because it's costing them money from boycotts. More is needed. Too many preachers who used to preach on sin don't seem to see that as a fit subject in modern times. Though a proper diagnosis, along with a formula for healing, is the only starting place for converting individuals to a better life and healing nations. Such a strategy would not only be appropriate, but apparently the only path to saving this country and its people from the same fate as other nations who thought they would escape the consequences of unrestrained behavior. Again, Cal Thomas weighing in on what's inappropriate as the word has been used by the White House press secretary and where does the standard lie? Well, tomorrow we're going to talk with a guest from the Susan B. Anthony organization about the anniversary of the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. What has happened since and where is the pro-life movement headed? We've seen the debate going on over where the nation will settle now that states have the freedom to decide for themselves, as they once did before Roe versus Wade, where they stand on the question of abortion. That will be uh, the subject of our conversation tomorrow. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.